Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Ben from Who Scored and also Jonathan Wilson to look forward to the weekend's Premier League action and have a little gander over the Champions League as well. In fact, Ben, that is where we're going to start. We've got a team of the group stage that Who Scored have compiled using their algorithm. Who is in it? Yeah, so it's the best 11 of players to have featured in four of the six group stage games. In goal is Simon Mignolet. He only conceded four goals across the six games, all of those coming in that 4-0 defeat to Porto, whereas no goalkeeper made more saves than him with 30. Trent Alexander-Arnold is in at right-back. He was solid both on and off the ball as he made 11 key passes and 16 tackles. Uh, Ruben Diaz is the only Manchester City representative at centre-back. He had a, the best pass success rate of 96.5% of those to make more than one start, and he made more passes per game than any other centre-back with 918 he is joined by Alessandro Bastoni. He registered two assists and made six key passes, which is the same as Raheem Sterling, Richarlison and Timo Werner. Rounding off the defence is Alejandro Grimaldo, but he was directly involved in four of Benfica's 16 goals, scoring two and ranked fifth for tackles. Our player of the group stage is none other than a certain Lionel Messi, as no player made more key passes than him, and he was directly involved in eight of PSG's goals as he scored four. In the midfield, Joshua Kimmich has only... Features, only two players made more assists as he got three in the end. Federico Valverde joins Kimmich in the middle of the park as he, like Messi, made 15 key passes. And Leroy Sané completes the midfield as he scored four goals to help maintain a decent start to the season. Up front, Medi Taremi of FC Porto was directly involved in seven of their 12 goals, scoring five as only Mbappe and Salah, uh, Salah scored more. And Mbappe rounds off the team as he was directly involved in more goals than any other player, while only Vinicius Jr. completed more dribbles. Interesting. A couple of surprises in there, Jonathan. I don't know. I think I saw you pull a face when Trent Alexander-Arnold's name was read out. The Champions League has kind of been a decent respite for, for Trent from, from the Premier League in some ways. Yeah, I guess what that shows is it's really easy to rack up big numbers when you play the Rangers twice. It does help, I'm, I'm imagining. Um, yeah. I'm slightly surprised there's not more Benfica players in there because they've been the team I've really enjoyed watching in the group stage but, but yeah I mean as, as I was saying last week Champions League is different to the Premier League in that I tend to see four games a week and see the goals rather than watching the highlights so yeah same. I wouldn't be playing Lionel Messi on the right of the midfield four put it that way but apart from that Ruben Diaz as well I don't feel like I've seen much of Ruben Diaz this season in, in the Premier League like, like you say every time I've watched Man City I feel like Ruben Diaz is either not played or, or, or been on the bench but then it's constantly by surprise that he's played four out of the six Champions League games, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, I guess they kept those two clean sheets in a row, didn't they? The two little draws. Did he play in both of those? I don't know. I mean, those are the sort of games I just I just haven't seen, so I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, he more generally, I think you're right that that I think he he was City's outstanding defender last season, and possibly has been a bit a bit quieter this time around. But but yeah. He, I don't know how many games he played this season. It feels like he's missed quite a lot. It doesn't feel like many. I've, I've watched him a fair bit and I don't so. remember seeing him. No Napoli players in that team, Ben. No, which was quite surprising. I'm guessing their 2-0 defeat to Liverpool kind of impacted that. But still, they've been excellent in both Syria and Champions League this season. You have to wonder whether they're actually deserve to be one of the favourites and whether they have a chance of winning it. They're behind Liverpool as one of the favourites, but level with Chelsea. And that 13-game winning streak was ended by Liverpool midweek. But, I mean, they're smashing it in Serie A. They've been excellent in the Champions League. So, you have to wonder whether they do have an outside chance of actually winning it. Yeah, Jonathan, if you were a betting man, would you be putting money on, on Napoli? They are, except with the exception of that Liverpool game, they are probably the form team in world football right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've been they've been exceptional. Uh, and that, that performance when they beat Liverpool in the first group game, 
they were, I mean, I know Liverpool were terrible, but Napoli were absolutely brilliant, despite Osserman going off in the first half of that game. And I think, that, yeah, the, I, I don't know how good they are defensively. I don't really think they've, they've been, been tested defensively um, in the Champions League yet. But going forward, uh, yeah, the, the, they've got a huge number of options. Um, and, and, yeah, it's, I don't know, you sort of think because it's Napoli, they, they won't be able to sustain it. But I don't know how many of their players are going to be at the World Cup. I don't, presumably not many. Um, in Nigeria, Georgia, obviously haven't qualified. Mm. Um, Italy haven't qualified. So, yeah, maybe maybe they will be refreshed in, in February when everybody else is knackered. Yeah, they probably need a break as well because they do play with, with such intensity and such temper. Before we get into the Premier League action of the week, and we've got a Premier League team of the month as well. Do you want to read that out, Ben, and we'll discuss? Yep. So in goal for that one is Allison of Liverpool. Penalty save. That, that's yeah. an assist. An assist. That's pulled Allison <laughs> in for October, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely boosted his rating up to seven point three seven. Back four of Trippier, Shaw, Me, and Cancelo. Um, there's a midfield three of James Madison, Bruno Gamarish, and Kevin De Bruyne. And up front is Miguel Almiron, Erling Haaland, and Phil Foden. I'm sure I see Foden in there. I feel like he's, he's missed the, the last couple of games. But Jonathan, as a, as, a, as a native of the North East, you'll be delighted to see so many Newcastle players in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's lovely, isn't it? It's great. But yeah, Almiron's been playing brilliantly. Gamal has been playing brilliantly. Trippier in England desperately need him to be playing brilliantly, given every other right back's cropped. Um, and in some ways, it's obviously not a good thing that Walker and James are out. But you do. You, I mean, okay, James has played really well before the injury, but I'm quite glad Trippy is going to be in there because his set play delivery is so good. Was a uh, was Shaw in there as well? So yeah, it was, yeah. was a four Newcastle players. Yeah, I mean that, that which shows how well they've been playing the last last month. Because you know they had all those draws, and you sort of if you have a run of draws like that, you sort of think, well, that can very quickly go one or two ways. You know, if, if they'd suddenly lost two in a row, they're like, oh, well, they've won one of the last eight or something, and now it's oh, well, they've only lost once this season. Um, but you know, once they start getting players back from injury, I think Callum Wilson coming back has been a, been a huge thing for them. Um, being able to, to release Gamarish slightly further forward in midfield, I think it's really helped them. And so even though Isaac is still out, Sam Maxima hasn't played in the last month, um, yeah, that, that shows the depth they now have. And, and, and for all, I think, the, the quite reasonable scepticism and distaste for where their money's come from and, and the reasons why Saudi Arabia or the, the pith of Saudi Arabia own the club. Yeah, a lot of the players have been doing well, the players who were there before the investment. Now, obviously, it helps when you have better players around you, but I think you, you do have to give Eddie Howe credit for, for what he's getting out of Almiron and, and Jolinton and, and Shah, um, that he has, he has improved players who were struggling before. Yeah, he's shown himself to be an outstanding coach. I mean, we don't want to talk too much about the last game that they played at the weekend. Let's gloss over that one slightly, but... Where's their ceiling, Jonathan? Where can they finish? You know, top six feels a very realistic aim at, at the moment, but do you, can they get top four, especially if they were to maybe add a couple in January if they could? Pre-season, I, I, I doubt that they had quite enough to, to break into the big six. Uh, I thought that might be another season down the line. But I think particularly with you know, Liverpool wobbling, Chelsea wobbling a, a little bit, um, United obviously had a terrible start, although they've improved a lot. There are vulnerabilities there now in that big six, and you only have to finish ahead of three of them to uh, to take fourth. Um, and yeah, really, I, I don't trust Arsenal to 
to maintain the pace they've set. I think Tottenham's position is is odd in that you know, the you know third in league points out looks great. Performances haven't really been impressive, so no, not there. Wouldn't surprise me they fell away to to fifth or sixth. Um, so yeah, there's an opportunity there for Newcastle. Maybe may a season earlier than 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 they would have anticipated. Yeah, they've got that consistency as well, haven't they? And everything that the club feels aligned as well, everyone on the same page. And that, you know, when they play at St. James's Park, that's going to be a frightening place for most teams to go now because it is so aligned and it is so vociferous. Ben, you are a Spurs fan. Would Newcastle be concerning you coming up behind you? Yeah, without question. Um, I don't know what it is that Eddie Howe's done. He's done, he's struck that balance brilliantly um, between defence and attack. The criticism of him at Bournemouth was that they often had that soft underbelly. They were very good going forward, but just couldn't defend to save their lives. But at the best defensive record in the Premier League this season, and I don't know how many of their players will be going to the World Cup. Um, so they will be well rested by the time the action kicks off again next month. Um, and that's going to be a worry for not only Tottenham, but you've got to look at Chelsea, Man United. Uh, and wonder whether they will be able to overhaul Newcastle in that race for the top four. Yeah, well, Tite, the Brazil manager, was at the game on Saturday watching Gamares, probably watching Joel Linton as well, who was very, very good. So, yeah, they may have a couple of South American representatives in the Brazil squad. Let's look ahead then to the Premier League action, and we're going to start with Chelsea against Arsenal, which is one of the many William Gallas London derbies that we have in the Premier League. And, Ben, we're going to start with the two former Manchester City players. I mean, Zinchenko not been around so much uh, over the last month to six weeks, carrying a, carrying an injury that's been setting him back. Jesus, playing well in the games, but the goals have somewhat dried up, which I'm surprised at, especially the way Arsenal are playing. Yeah, he kind of thought that he would get back among the goals in the Forest game. Um, he had seven shots in that one, so wasn't fond of trying, but did get to assist. So he's still linking up really well with that attack. He has had 21 shots since his last goal. Wouldn't call it a dry spell yet, but obviously Jesus does go through these fits and spurts as he showed with City. I mean, he scored eight goals last season for them, but four of those came in a very comfortable win against Watford. Um, it's not really reason for concern because he does a lot more off the ball. Um, look at Martelli, Saka and Erdegaard have all benefited immeasurably since he's joined. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't be concerned yet, but one to keep an eye on, I think. Squad size, Jonathan, I'm assuming, is one of the reasons you think Arsenal can't maintain their current charge towards the, the title and being in the title race. But a surprise package at the weekend was Reese Nelson. Eyebrows probably raised when he came on for Saka, who went off with, with an injury. We hope he's OK for the World Cup. But then probably someone who fans wouldn't have expected to be a big part of the Arsenal squad, Reese Nelson. I know it's, it's only Forrest, but you know he comes on and scores two and suddenly looks very, very lively. Oh, yeah. And the fact he got those two goals almost straight away means that, you know, if he does start this game, you're not you're not going into it thinking, oh, Reese Nelson, I didn't realise he still played for them. You're thinking, oh, he's, you know, he's in good form. He scored two last week. He's, his confidence should be high. And he, he can slot straight in. I mean, I'm not sure we're absolutely certain Saka's out, are we? There seems to be a bit of doubt as, as to whether he, he may even be able to play in this game. Um, but on the, on the Jesus point, I think... I was I was looking at this for uh, I was looking at Martinelli's stats, uh, and I was slightly surprised that Martinelli, uh, his goal involvement are, are, are lower than Saka's now. Whereas the talk sort of a month ago was how Saka start the season a bit slowly. Well, if if, if that front three um, are all scoring goals, they're all setting goals up. I don't really think it matters who's scoring them. So Saka 
didn't get any first few weeks of the season. That's fine. Jesus isn't getting them now. Well, that's fine. As long as Sack and Martinelli are still contributing, which they are. So I, I, I think to obsess about centre-forward scoring goals, um, I, obviously sometimes it is relevant. But I think as long as the team is still scoring goals, it, it wouldn't trouble me too much. Um, that said, I think the, the the reason that Jesus is a very good player and a great player is that his finishing has never been consistent. Uh, and that's what... what I mean, there's all that story, uh, 2018 World Cup, that he said he, he didn't want to be Brazil's number nine. He didn't want the pressure of being number nine, having to score the goals. I don't know if that was partly um, having seen what happened with Fredji in, in 2014 and the way he was sort of scapegoated. Uh, I think playing as a centre forward and seeing when Neymar in it must be very, very difficult. Uh, but I know he didn't play the last two friendlies, but I think he had sort of adopted that number nine role. He had taken that on. And maybe that is a sign of, of growing maturity. Uh, and, and yeah, maybe he's still young. You know, his finishing may still come in the way it did for Salah. Yeah, I think you've got a valid point in that there is goals at the moment across the team. You know, Xhaka's been chipping in with goals. Martinelli's on good form in front of goal. And Saka has had a good month in front of goal as well. So there has been goals elsewhere. But, you know, at some point, I think Arsenal have bought to, to be that main goal scorer. He's going to have to go on, on some kind of run. And on the subject of Arsenal and sustainability, Jonathan, full-backs... Do you think that's sustainable for, for, for the season at the moment? Ben White's playing, playing right back, and, and I'm not sure what Tommy Asu's done to, to get ahead of Kieran Tierney at left back, but he's done something because he's there every week. Is that kind of selection sustainable through the season for Arsenal? I mean, their fullbacks are not as attacking as most top sides, and that means I think there's probably less physical toll on the fullbacks. They don't need to get forward as much. I, I, they, they do get forward. I mean, ben White's been involved in a, in a couple of goals. Um, in the first goal against Spurs, was, was his run to set a party, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you, you look at, say, Chelsea, where there is a huge amount on the fullbacks, and I think there is a big problem there. Um, Arsenal, I, I'm, I'm not so concerned by that. It is interesting, Tommy Asu, who you know, I, I thought was almost entirely right footed, uh, or certainly right foot dominant. And, and I, I think pretty much through his career, he's played either right side of centre back or right back. But he's suddenly playing on the left is, is interesting. I, I don't know what's happening with Tierney there. I don't know if Tierney's annoyed by that. But yeah, the, the the broader fact is they, they've got four fullbacks, all of whom are pretty good. Um, and if three of them are capable of playing on the left and two on the right, well, that's that's good covering in both positions. And I, unless Tierney is sort of really kicking off and furious about this, which was nothing to suggest that is the case, um, I don't think it's anything particularly to worry about. I wonder if it's anything to do with Xhaka's kind of new hybrid role, the fact that you have a more defensive left-back, which Tommy Asu obviously is compared to Tierney, so that when Jack is going forward, you've got someone who can invert and, and come inside and kind of cover off that position when Jack is getting in the box. I wonder if it's something to do yeah, with Tierney's more but, of an overlapper, isn't it? And also Martinelli, I think, offers less defensive protection on the left than Saka offers on the right. The fact yeah. Saka has played as a wing-back, he, he probably does shuttle back a bit more. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe it's just a simple matter of, of balance. I mean, you think back to... Uh, the, you know, the Forest side of the, the, the one won the European Cup, and they had a very attacking right back in Viv Anderson, and they balanced that with a much much more defensive um, player at left back in, in Frank Clark or, or or then Frank Gray, um, and that then allowed Robertson to to you know, to play effectively as a playmaker on the left. So as long as you've got that internal balance, I think people get too hung up on symmetry in football teams. I think that doesn't matter. What, what the balance is what, what what matters rather than necessarily being symmetrical. Yeah, I don't remember that Forest term. I'm, I'm, I'm quite young still, Jonathan. I don't, I, I don't remember that Forest term. I've heard well, of but, it, but, but not as young as you look. I'm not as, not as young. I mean, when you're wearing this cap, 
<laughs> knocks 10 years off you. If you wore this cap, Jonathan, it would, it would knock 10 years off, off oh, you I look, as I look well. 64 in that cap. <laughs> yeah. Ben, let's, let's look at Chelsea a little bit. Now, I think Kepper actually might be out of this game at the weekend against Arsenal, but he has been really important to, to Potter. I mean, we probably didn't think at any point this season or at any point in, in Kepper's Chelsea career that we'd be talking about him being their MVP. But he actually has been. I don't think anyone saw that coming. Uh, I mean, Mendy picked up that injury, so it kind of forced Potter's hand. But Kepper came in and did basically everything right, which no, I don't, I don't think anyone could have foreseen happening. Um, he was kind of say he was kind of saved usually last season for those Carabao Cup finals or Cup finals where he was great at shot stopping and then managed to blaze one over the bar against Liverpool. But it's been really surprising that he's come in has been as good as he is and has arguably been their most important player under Potter, which kind of leads to the next suggestion, has his performances masked Chelsea's good start under Potter? I think Chelsea have not been playing as well as results have suggested. And I think what happened to Brighton, um, I'm not saying I predicted it in advance because I didn't, but in retrospect, you could sort of see, oh yeah, maybe maybe that, that was coming, that they hadn't been that impressive. Um, and they had got away with a few. You think of the performance at Villa, when Kepa made what two or three absolutely outstanding saves, um, so yeah, I, I, I think I think that that game at Brighton just sort of there's little fragments of doubts, and they've all sort of coalesced now. Sort of, uh, and you think, yeah, maybe 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 that was it. Nine game unbeaten run Potter had when he when he took over. Maybe that was slightly uh, misleading. That maybe they weren't quite that impressive. I mean, I think they've yeah. You look at the makeup of the squad. I don't want to be too critical because I think a lot of these problems predate the takeover. I think the sanctions gave them defensive issues because they couldn't offer uh, Rudiger or Christensen or uh, Marcus Alonso a new contract. Not that I think they'd have wanted to offer all three new contracts, but they just couldn't do that, which obviously hampered their, their preparation. And then they bring in Fafana and Koulibaly and they're both injured. So th- there are sort of mitigating factors there. But the, 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 you, you look at this game and you think, right, the big problem, especially if Saka's out, how do you stop Mark Nelly? Who's going to play on the right? And you think, well, if it's a right wing back, if you had Reese James, that's fine. That's not a problem. Reese James, Sex and Mark Nelly, that's a great battle. We enjoy watching that. Fine. Do you trust us with a quarter at 33 with his pace, lack of pace, to, to do that job? Or do you think mm, that space behind Aspilicueta suddenly becomes a major problem? Do you think, all right, well, maybe. You know, may, maybe you can't play as well as quite. I mean, you, you really wouldn't trust Pulisic there. Loftus Cheek, I mean, he can do it, but you know, he's not a natural defender. He's not a natural right wing back. So then you think, well, maybe they, they need to go to a back four. And I think they've played a back four uh, three times uh, under Potter. Uh, two of them though were, were sort of a you know a hybrid system where it was sort of halfway between a back four and the three five two. So the only time they played a back four, a pure back four, was that first game against Palace where he spent the second half just bringing on runners because they were getting overrun. And I think the problem with the back four is Thiago Silva, who has been way, way better than I expected him to be when they signed him two summers ago, he is 38 and he can get exposed. I think you saw even in the back three, he got exposed to Brighton. So I, I would be very uncomfortable with the idea of playing a back four with Thiago Silva in it, um, particularly when they don't have a holding midfielder because Kante's not there. And yes, they can play Jorginho there, but you know, he's not a ball winner. So I think what you probably end up concluding is that he needs to go and, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, 
he, he may well start with the back three, but that makes me uncomfortable. I, I think he may go with the system he finished with against United with the back four, the diamond in midfield, with Jorginho backed up by Loftus-Cheek and um, Kovacic. I would say you would want to play three at the back because then you've got a pacey right centre-back in Chalaber to cover off Aspilicueta if he finds himself in trouble against Martinelli. But I don't think... Back four, I'm not not sure. Against Arsenal, I think the back four is asking for trouble. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I agree. Um, as Jonathan said, in the back four, Silva does get exposed. I mean, that that, that was always going to be the case. Uh, he did exceed expectations from a lot of people, myself included. But in the back four, he is 38 now. He's going to get exposed um, quite easily by that Arsenal attack. Um, I personally would probably go for a back three and have... I mean, it could be that he puts Asbury quite a right wing back, Chalaba right back, uh, right centre back, just yeah, to probably what I'd do. cover. Um, but I'd be tempted to put Loftus Cheek in there at right wing back, and maybe put Chalaba just because Aspilicueta and Silva in the same back three will get absolute torn to shreds by Jesus, Martinelli, Erdegaard, and Saka. It's a bit of an oversight from Chelsea not really having a viable right wing back option as cover for race jazz. I know you can't legislate from getting injured, Jonathan, for the time that he's got injured for, but it's a little bit of an oversight considering wing backs have been such a big part of what's been good about Chelsea over the, over the last year and a half, two years. Yeah, I, th- I think if you're looking at the squad, there's two obvious areas where they're short, three obvious areas where they're short. So what is centre forward, but that's partly to do with the Lukaku situation, which if you spend £100 million on the problem and the problem doesn't go away, that yeah, you can't really blame the people who are spending the money for that. That's that's a that's a different issue. I think they've got big issues at the back of midfield because uh, Kante can't stay fit anymore. Uh, he's well, he's thirty one. Jorginho's thirty. They're both out of contract in the summer. I think we're we're led to believe that the the new ownership don't want to offer big contracts to older players. So any contract they do offer will either be fairly short term or will be heavily you know, incentive based, performance based. And given, you know, both of them uh, you know, will be heading into their probably their final big contract, you can imagine them thinking, no, I'd rather have lots of money and a three-year deal playing for PSG or back in Italy or, or, or whatever. Uh, so I think that's an issue that needs addressing. But yeah, the, the other is is that right side, um, right wing-back position. And I think, you know, this, this is where the squad just doesn't quite fit together, that if you if you could play back four, I don't think that's probably quite as a problem as a as cover at right back. He becomes a problem when he's got to play right wing back. Um, I think there was a thought that Kukurea could maybe play on that side, uh, but there's been no evidence of that yet. But I, I, yeah, I, I heard people say when Kukurea was signed, and you sort of think, why are they signing him when they've got Chilwell? That oh, it's because he can offer cover on the right as well. Now, if that's true, then then that's fine. Kukurea can play there. Not that he's yeah, his time at Chelsea sat particularly well, but at least you could see the logic behind that signing. Whereas, from 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 this perspective, that looks like a lot of money spent on a player that they they perhaps didn't didn't really need. Before we get onto the combined eleven, I just want to ask you a quick question, Jonathan. Jonathan Wilson FC time. Jonathan Wilson Football <laughs> Club. Back to Kepper or Mendy, and I don't think I think with a goalkeeper you can't do your usual of saying to me who are we playing. Yeah, would you, if you were well, a manager, would you rather, well, well, or you can I still think you do? Can, it. Yeah, you can still do. I, I think. I mean, okay, I wouldn't, but I think you can make a case that if you have two really good keepers, you can you can look at the opposition and you can say, right, Mendy is really good at claiming crosses. If you're playing against a big team, we put in crosses. Pick Mendy. If you're playing against a team where you're going to dominate possession and you need your keeper to be able to sweep, pick Kepper. 
You're so clever. So wise. You're so wise but, and clever. But nobody ever does that. I, I accept yeah. that, as, that as a radical solution that I think we will see coming into the game, but isn't really there yet. Uh, so which would I pick? I'd pick Kepa. Yeah. But to be honest, like, I've always been... I thought Kepa's behaviour in the League Cup final when he refused to go off was a nonsense. And But apart from that, I've always broadly been been pro Kepa. I saw him uh, a couple of times for in Bilbao for Athletic and, and thought he looked, looked brilliant. I thought he looked a really, really good young keeper. I thought the fee they paid was... Although large, I, I thought it was totally understandable. And I was really disappointed by by that first season he had when he basically became a hologram and everything that went near him went, went through him. Um, and I get why they brought in Mendy. Mendy started really well, but I just have never thought Mendy was was quite as good a keeper as Kepa. Um, and I think Kepa, towards the end of last season, started to make mistakes. Uh, and... I, I get why people are reluctant to, to change the keeper. You know, I'm not saying it was a terrible decision not to give Kepa his chance. But I do think that the injury to, to Mendy made a decision Potter might have been better off making anyway. I think Kepa is is just a better keeper. And and he's now showing that. Yeah, 100 million plus for, for both those goalkeepers as well. So it's a hell of an outlay for two goalkeepers. One, one more question on Jonathan Wilson FC. Would they invert the pyramid? Yes, <laughs> they would. They would invert the. There's a nice touch having it there. Thank yeah. you. Which, Thank which you. edition is that? The, the latest one that you can get, I assume. Does it say ten-year anniversary edition or something on the front? Yes, it does. Okay, does that is the most recent one. Yeah. Let's now do the combined eleven. And Ben, I like the look of your eleven here. That well, it's not your eleven. It's who scores eleven. There has been a rule being a little rule being broken, I, I think. But I'll let you read the eleven out anyway. It's quite. It's a big rule being broken. Okay, it's a big rule. You've broke a big rule, Ben. There's a massive juggernaut just smashed through the the flimsy ephemera of the laws, and the laws are just <laughs> just shattered. Actually, yeah, you've done it twice as well. Yeah, we we need we need Lady Hale in to sort this out. Yeah, come on then, Ben. Let's the damage has been done. Re- read the eleven. Try and justify yourself. Yeah, I'll um. Act like a winded animal and attack, go on the attack from the outset. Um, so, front three of Martinelli, Jesus, and Saka. We're going backwards. Can't yeah, I'm going to get backwards. I'm going from the. You can't do that. I'm you, attack, can't break, you can't break the rule and then start <laughs> with the strikers. That doesn't well, make what even sense. are the rules? There are no <laughs> rules. He's a maverick. What's going on here? Go on then. Yeah, I thought, I thought I'd mix it up a bit just because Josh is no longer here. Winded animal, go on the attack from the outset. Martinelli, Jesus, Saka, and attack. And then midfield is Shaka, Party, and Erdegaard. Uh, in defence, you've got Zinchenko at left-back, and then it's a Chelsea four to finish off with. Koulibaly and Silver at centre-back, Rhys James at right-back, and Kepper in goal. I mean, you can see why they don't do that. They don't read teams out that way. Martin Tyler mm-hmm. on Super Sunday wouldn't wouldn't start with the task. Confused me. Broke the rule, though, of picking, selecting injured players in, in your team. Ben, Jonathan, I'm assuming your eleven it doesn't have James and doesn't have Zinchenko because of the injuries. Yeah, I know. I picked, picked a team if it was playing on, on Sunday. Which I believe is the rule, but you know what was the rule? But Ben's yeah. come in and decided he doesn't care for the rules. Yeah. So the front six is the same. Um, Kepa in goal. Then I've got uh, White, Saliba, Gabriel, and then uh, I th- yeah, I, th- I think I think it's Tommy Asu at left back. It's a very very Arsenal heavy team. Which I don't think I think Arsenal are ten times better than Chelsea to have ten times as many players in. But I think it's just the way they fit together, and I think. It shows that Arteta has a team that that, that works. Um, I think possibly when you're picking a team like this, uh, it's you know, when you have a you know there's a very obvious Arsenal first team, whereas Chelsea 
you know, mix and match a bit more. Um, change your 11 every game, Charles. Yeah, so it's, it's a bit harder to say, well, that three works together. Um, but yeah, I've got Kepa and 10, uh, 10 Arsenal players. I'm not, I'm not, confused, not confused, but Ben, the, who scored 11? Is Saliba not, not getting in over the Chelsea centre-backs this season in terms of rating? <laughs> I knew this would be a um, bone to pick, but no, not the moment. Really? No. Uh, his rating... I mean, he, he, scored, he scored an own goal in one game, but you wouldn't think that would drag him right down. Arsenal would be very good defensively, in my eyes. No, I mean, he's got a rating of 6.86, which I, I don't decide the who scored algorithm. I'll no, just no. kind of go, go on what it is. But, I mean, I if it was a personal one, I'd have him in there. But, again, just misses out, unfortunately. He was in your was he in yours, Jonathan? I can't remember. He was in yours. Saliba, yeah. yeah, yeah. Saliba and Gabriel. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked by, by the algorithm there. I mean, I've been shocked by the algorithm before, but I think that, that's up there as one of the, the bigger shocks, to be honest, just from watching him this hour. Again, I feel like I've watched Arsenal a lot this season. I'm, I'm shocked to see him not him not in there. With that own goal that he scored earlier on in the season, would that have hurt his rating quite a lot? Uh, not immeasurably. I mean, he didn't get a great rating against Man United, and his rating has kind of been mid Six six point five come up to six point seven six. I mean, he's got some very good ratings in there, like against Brentford, eight point three six against Bournemouth, eight point oh nine. Obviously boosted by the uh, goals he scored against them. Um, yeah, exactly, he's got a few goals as well. As I said, hasn't had a bad season. He just doesn't make it because of his rating being a bit lower than Kulabali. I mean, I've been doing this podcast since twenty twenty. I should probably at some point learn how the alg- algorithm works. But yeah, that is that has surprised me. Something else that's been surprising me this season is how bad my predictions are. So let's do the predictions for Chelsea against Arsenal. We'll come to our current leader, Jonathan. What do you predict the score to be? One one. You hear me say that a lot today, but one one. 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 <laughs> uh, I'm still deciding mine, Ben. Uh, two one to Arsenal. You're going to copy me again, aren't you? No, no. I'm going to go for two two. I'm going to go for two two. I've weighed it up. And yeah, I've just, I mean, I don't know why I'm going different from you two when I'm doing so badly, but yeah, I'll go for I'll go for two two. Let's move on then to Tottenham against Liverpool, another big game this weekend. Ben Tottenham fan son looked in considerable pain in the Champions League game midweek, went off injured, World Cup in doubt. Very, it's very now, it's now being confirmed he's gonna have surgery to strengthen the broken cheek around his eye. So I fear that is it for his World Cup. Yeah, it's not looking good for him anyway on, on the World Cup front. But also, I know there's not many games left until the World Cup break, Ben, but that, he's not been playing particularly well, Son. That is a big blow to Spurs at the moment, especially when, they, when they're so sure. That's, that's going to make their attack more stagnant than it already is. Yes. Um, if Kulisevsky and Richardson are fit, it's not the worst thing in the world. No. Um, even when they were fit, though, Son wasn't playing very well. I mean, he's only scored in one of his 18 starts for Tottenham this season. Um, it is, at the moment, though, not ideal with both of those out. Um, gives Conte a bit of a selection headache of who to choose alongside Kane. Does he stick with the 3-5-2, put one of Mora, put Mora up there alongside him, as he did uh, against Marseille when, he, when Sun came off at Basuma? Or does he stick with the 3-4-3, move Perisic further forward, or even bring in Brian Hill? So... Fortunately for Tottenham, there's only two games left. Um, obviously, they've got Liverpool, and then I can't remember for the life of me who they finish off with next week. But it's not ideal timing just because those two players are out. But then it's this is what Conte is paid to do. He's paid to make these big decisions. And Tottenham, to their credit, did win without him against Marseille on Wednesday. Yeah, that uh, Tuesday, sorry. 
yeah, that didn't look possible as well in the in the first half. Marseille completely outplayed Spurs. But for this game in particular, Jonathan, no son. Against Liverpool in transition, you felt like it had probably been a really dangerous weapon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they got Leeds next week. It's the other game. But but yeah, th- th- yeah, this game, I don't know. It's, it, I mean, Liverpool don't, aren't pressing as high as they were. So maybe that space isn't quite there. But you'd, you'd still think... Um, that that yeah, Son getting a run in that space behind Alexander Arnold is is exactly the way you'd want to take Liverpool on. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's two ways you can go. You can either say play the three four three and try and try and focus on that space behind the Liverpool fullbacks, or you add the extra midfielder and and, and try and dominate dominate it in there. Uh, but yeah, but not having Son is is. It's a huge loss anyway, but this game in particular, yeah, definitely. I feel like when they had that extra midfielder in, though, Jonathan, it's just all a bit a bit the same. Although Benton Kerr's come alive in, in the last few weeks. I didn't realise what a good player he was in, until the last few weeks. But, you know, you put Basuma in there alongside Hoy. Why can I never say his name? Hoyberg <laughs> and, uh, and Benton Kerr. It's just all a bit a bit safe, a bit same. I, don't know. I mean, there isn't really any creative players that Conte can, can bring in. But but you know what I mean? It's just, it feels like it does make yeah. Spurs quite stagnant. I think that's the thing when you... When you look at that midfield three, and they're they're lacking the sort of Christian Eriksen figure, uh, the, the, this person can just sort of. I mean, Hoybier's, I think uh, he's, he surprised me how good he is at getting forward, but he's very much, you know, uh, arriving late, um, you know, breaking into the box. He's not he's not sort of going to produce a moment of imagination that's going to unlock a defence. So I think that's the one thing Spurs still lack is that that bit of imagination. I think Kudelski was somebody who. I wasn't necessarily providing that, but by providing that link between the midfield and attack to sort of cover for that, that the the the, you know, the pressing could act as the playmaker, if you like, when you had Kulisevsky there to sort of lead those transitions and, and, and to to be that link. And without him, I think they do look... You, know, you see that big gulf um, between the forward line and the midfield. So, I, I mean, Mura can do that. Mura's a bit of a weird player, I think, that every time I sort of see him play, I sort of think, oh, he's, he's actually quite good. And then you sort of forget about him for weeks. And then he comes on again, and you oh yeah, he's actually quite good. So maybe him getting a bit of a run isn't isn't the worst thing. Um, but I think it's fairly obvious that Conte isn't really convinced by him that he you know, he he wouldn't be in his first choice eleven where where he'd be fit. No, um, Liverpool midfield. I'll start to start with you, Jonathan. I mean, we talk about Spurs' midfield being stagnant. All summer, Liverpool fans were saying. We need a central midfielder. We need a central midfielder. And to be fair, they did get one in Arter, although that felt a little bit of a, a panic and he's not played at all due, due to injuries. But I suppose if Spurs, you know, are going to win a midfield battle, it may, it may well be against Liverpool, although there was Fabinho showed maybe a little bit of signs of recovery in the week. Yeah, they, they, they just, I don't know, Liverpool suddenly just look old. And I know they are old, but even something like Fabinho, who's, was he 30, 29, 30? He, he started to look old as well. He's sort of been become old by association. Um, Henderson's had as bad a start to the season as, as a, you know, since the very, very early days at Liverpool. Uh, Thiago's never fit, and I don't think he's been particularly convincing when he has been. So the best midfielder's probably been Harvey Elliott, which uh, is not ideal given his age. No, and the fact that he's probably not really a natural central, central midfielder as well. Ben, are you confident go- going into this game? Liverpool have, have not been great in the league. Tottenham, we discussed earlier, you know, their league position probably outweighs how well they've been playing, but they are in the main getting results. When they've had the had the big test spurs, I know Liverpool aren't doing well. This, these have been the games they haven't taken points from or they haven't won. I mean, look at the big test, the Chelsea 
game to all draw showed great resilience to kind of come back twice. To very, very fortunate. I mean, that guy, that was Chelsea's best Still. display of the season. <laughs> I think it's Man United, Tottenham were awful. Um, but then obviously you just say Man United was so good that day that it just made Tottenham look even worse. I agree on the midfielders though. Uh, Fabinho does look old. Thiago doesn't look great. If you look at central midfield pairings, you're looking at the, uh, the best rated and the second best rated of each team in the Premier League. Liverpool's partnership with Thiago and Fabinho is actually the 17th, ranked 17th, just above Bournemouth and below Brentford, whereas Tottenham's is third, and that's Bentancourt and Hoiberg. So if Tottenham are going to get a win, you feel that it's going to be through that midfield. Um, and given how Bentancourt has now decided that he wants to grab Graves by the scruff of the neck by basically winning the ball and charging forward, that's going to be a huge test for Liverpool to see if they can counter that press. Um Oybjerg again making those late runs into the box. He hit the bar before he scored against Marseille. So Liverpool have a big ask on their hands to actually stop that midfield, which you wouldn't have thought um, sort of 12, 12, 6, 12, 24 months ago. But as Jonathan said, the Liverpool midfield now just looks very old. Yeah, and it's been a year now since Conte has been at Spurs, Jonathan. Obviously, he got them top four, which you know wasn't looking on the cards when he took over. They're into the last sixteen of the Champions League, going going quite well in the Premier League in terms of points teller success. Well, he's improved them, um, and I think there was yeah, there was a real danger under Nuno that they were they were just sort of sinking and they could have been sort of um, yeah a, a mid table side for, for the last couple of years. So you've got to give him credit for for, for dragging them up for, for sort of re-energizing everybody. Um, getting into the Champions League was a huge success. I don't think they've been particularly good in the group phase, but on the other hand, they're through. They're in the last 16. Um, I don't think they play particularly well in the league, but they're third. So there's, there's, a, there's a dislocation there between performances and results. Um, and I guess the, the hope for Tottenham is that performances move towards results rather than results moving towards performances. Now, the, 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 there is a theory, and I, I'm not saying I necessarily subscribe to it, there is a theory that all Conte's uh, pre-season fitness work was to peak in February. Now, if that is true, then they can have a surge in the latter part of the season when other teams may be knackered from, from the World Cup, uh, if it's true and if it works. Uh, but, you know, Kane obviously is going to the World Cup and Kane is is absolutely essential to the way they attack. Um I mean, Kulisevsky, even had he been fit, wouldn't have been going to the World Cup. Looks like Son probably isn't going to the World Cup now. Uh, Richarlison will be there as part of the Brazil squad, but not necessarily in the team, though he, he may well be in the team. Uh, Benton Kerr will be absolutely critical to how Uruguay do. And I think Uruguay, their, their group is relatively straightforward. So I think they should be looking for the you know, last 16 quarterfinals. So Benton Kerr could, could come back tired. Hybio, you know, isn't there. Um, so they, they do have... Yeah, some players will come back fit and fresh and, and uh, uh, reinvigorated. But, yeah, I mean, you could also imagine Hugo Lloris. I, I can imagine France having a terrible World Cup, a massive blowout. Uh, and he may come back, with, you know, sort of feeling the effects of that. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, if that plan to peak in February, if, if it is true he's done that, if that works, well, everything's fine. Uh, if it's not, then, then it, they could easily fall away. I think I'm a subscriber to that theory. I think I've, I've mentioned that before about I think Spurs will come good in the second half of the season after the World Cup because of the fitness work that, that Conte puts in. And, you know, talking to subscribers as well, subscribe to this podcast with your post notifications on. Absolutely seamless there. I guess the crux of this game is and the crux of Spurs and Liverpool in the league at the moment is that, you know, both teams aren't particularly playing well. 
but Spurs are third and Liverpool are mid-table, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, yeah, whose position would you rather be in? Well, Tottenham's clearly. Uh, and even if you look at the squad, it, I think it's closer to being a really good squad than Liverpool's, which is is is, is a ludicrous thing to say, given how close Liverpool's yeah, We weren't saying that at the start year. of the season. No one was saying that. Yeah. Uh, no, no, we weren't. Um, again, it's one of those things, in retrospect, you can see uh, the season before last, uh, there was a lot of people... You were sort of saying, oh, is this Liverpool squad getting a little bit old? Are they growing old together? Um, and, and I think we're we're seeing the validity of that question now. And I think there have been attempts to to, to rectify that. But you know, when Klopp was making his point about state-owned clubs and clubs and the fact they have no ceiling, yeah, that's what he's talking about. Liverpool have to be really careful with every penny they spend that they can't afford a sixty million pound flop. Uh, and, and the truth is, Darwin Nunez may well be an eighty-five million pound flop. Um, that there's yeah, there's, there's doubts, question marks there. And any time you take a team that's been incredibly successful, particularly when you have a forward line like that, that was was so yeah, there's that multiplicatory effect. Salah was a great player, but he's made better by playing alongside Firmino, who's made better by playing alongside Sadio Mane. As soon as you start to fiddle with that, and it needed fiddling with because they all they all turned thirty at the same time. Then you, you you know there's no guarantees that you're going to find the same balance and the same blend again, and I think I think that's been the re- the real struggle. Ben, it's time for another rogue combined eleven. Off you go. go well, let's start with the goalkeeper this time, please. Okay, so we're going four four two. Um, we've included injured and suspended players, so just to get that one out there, uh, in goal is Allison. Uh, right back, we've gone Trent Alexander Arnold. There's a centre back partnership of Eric Dyer and Virgil Van Dijk, and I have cheated a bit and put Ben Davies at left back. I wouldn't say a midfield four. It's more of a midfield two of Hoiberg and Bentoncourt and an uh, attack line of Salah, Kane, Firmino and Diaz. Yeah, I like the, I like the attack. I like what you've done with the attack. Obviously, Diaz sh- shouldn't be in there if we're following no- normal procedure. But, you know, I like the fact, you know, I've got Firmino as a number 10 with the Spurs two, backing him up behind him. I, I like that a lot. Jonathan, what have you gone for? It's, it was actually really difficult because none, none of them are playing well. So the easy bit is the midfield. I mean, I'm going to go really well and start in the midfield. Oh, come on, listen, we can't, we can't have and hide So I've got Alisson in goal. Uh, I've got back three of Dyer flanked by Van Dijk and Davis. I've got Alexander Arnold and Robertson as the wingbacks. Uh, then Bentecourt and Hoiberg with Harvey Elliott to the right. And then Salah and Kane through the middle. Uh, I'm not... Niche. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with it, but... Um, I mean, you could leave Elliot out and bring in Lucas Moura and go for a, a three-four-three. So that that was my big because I had Son in there till Tuesday night. Elliot, I felt Elliot could plan the plan the right in a three-four-three. No, no, he's, he, well, maybe. But, but then you know, then, then that doesn't work at all because then Salah would have to be on the left. But I, I like him as a sort of. I thought I thought the way he played in City was really impressive as that sort of uh, really hard running, you know, filling that gap between Alexander Arnold and. Um, uh, Joe Gomez. Uh, I thought, yeah, I thought he was excellent doing that. So he can do the same for me in this game. Nice, Jonathan Wilson FC. They like a three at the back. Jonathan Wilson FC. Don't they? I've noticed over the years. Uh, maybe it's just easier to work out which centre backs are playing well than other positions. Yeah, it just seems, seems to like a three, a three at the back. Maybe it's because Chelsea obviously play with a three at the back, and we we do a lot of a lot of Chelsea combined eleven Spurs as well. Maybe it's just that. But yeah, I've always felt that you you, you favour. A three at the back at Jonathan Wilson FC. Always played, always played a three at the back at college. Yeah, there we go. Maybe, maybe inadvertently you do. Let's have some score predictions. Then I'll go first. Loser, bottom of the league. <laughs> I'm going to go for 
I fear this may be the same prediction as Jonathan. I'm going to go for Tottenham 1, Liverpool 1. Yeah, go on, Mom. Yeah, Ben? Uh, I think Tottenham may actually do it 2-1. There he is, the Tottenham fan, predicting Tottenham to win. <laughs> just like, just like non, I do with Villa. Non-biased opinion, Tottenham to win. I imagine your prediction of your team to win is much more successful than me predicting my team to win so far this season. <laughs> you're def- definitely will be. Let's move on now to the just a minute section then. Uh, Ben, you're going first, I think, Ben. You've really challenged up this week. I think Jonathan normally goes first. You're, you're going first according to the running order this week. But you are starting with Wolves v Brighton. Wolves recorded from back-to-back defeats to secure a point at Brentford last week. Courtesy of Sublime, Ruben Neves equaliser after Ben Mee had put the bees ahead. However, they remain two points off safety coming to Saturday's welcome of Brighton. Wolves have won only one of their four Premier League home league meetings with the Seagulls and lost this game last season 3-0. Costa was red card in last week's draw in West London to add to Wolves strikers' woes with Sasha, Sasha Kaladzic, Raul Jimenez and Pedro Neto also out. Matias Nunes and Chiquinho also remain out while Totti will be assessed. Brighton secured their first win under Roberto, Roberto De Zerbi last time out and you might say they were deserving winners as they smashed Chelsea oh, nice. for one. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. Uh, they haven't been particularly poor under Italian who was dealt a tough hand when he took over having kicked off his time on the South Coast with meetings with Man City Tottenham and Liverpool and then Chelsea. A first win since smashing Leicester will boost morale as they aim to head into the World Cup break on a high. Joel Veltman missed the win over Chelsea after he came against Man City and will be assessed, while Jacob Murder is a long-term absentee. That being said, De Zerbi may in fact stick with the same 11 that beat Chelsea and I think they'll win 2-0. So this is Brighton, Wolves Brighton, yeah, 1-1, one, one, sorry. 1-1. One, one. I feel what's hindering me is I'm not doing my predictions before now I'm just doing them on, on the fly and that's obviously hurting me that's a change of tactic from last year and I'm doing a, a lot worse I go for Wolves 1 Brighton 2 I, pre- I predict Wolves to lose every single week but to be fair they're not doing very well Jonathan you've got Leeds v Bournemouth the Lewis Cook derby returning to his former turn massive win for Leeds at Liverpool last week which ended a run of eight games without a win uh, they are still just one point above drop zone though and you suspect that were they not to win this one uh, there would be pressure back on Jesse Marsh. Um, Dalton Forshaw out for them. Sinistera might be back, but he remains a doubt. Patrick Bamford hasn't scored since last December. Uh, he has been injured for a lot of that time, but I think you can see his his confidence is, is is really rocky. Having said that, I thought he played really well at Anfield, and his pass that some of a winner uh, showed that he does still have that sort of calmness and clinicalness inside the box. Bournemouth, after taking 10 points in the first six games of the Gary O'Neill, have now suffered three straight defeats, albeit they actually played pretty well in, in all of them. Uh, Brooks, Kelly and Neto are out for them. Um, I think that their, their run of defeats probably will end, but not with a victory. So I'm going to say, as I say so often, 1-1. One, one. I'm going to go for Leeds 2, Bournemouth 1. Ben? Uh, Leeds 2, Bournemouth 2. 2-2, nice. Uh, Man City against Fulham for you, Ben. An Erling haaland Manchester City and a hard-fought 1-0 win at Leicester last weekend, courtesy of a stunning second-half Kevin De Bruyne free kick. The defending champions remain two points after Arsenal after that victory and having already booked their spot in the next round of the Champions League, could afford to rest key men in Wednesday's welcome of Sevilla. De Bruyne, Cancelo, Foden and Rodri are among those who did not start midweek while Haaland wasn't fit enough for the squad, though Guardiola is hopeful the Norwegian hitman will recover from an ankle problem in time for Saturday. Even so, Guardiola can call upon Julian Alvarez in reserve and he shot in midweek, scoring one assist in two as City ran out 3-1 winners against Sevilla. Uh, Carl Walker and Calvin Phillips are again absent for City. Fulham came up against inspired Jordan Pickford last time out, so held to a 0-0 draw with Everton at Craven Cottage. While disappointed they couldn't claim all the spoils, Fulham are still unbeaten four, picking up eight points in that run. 
Marco Silva will be forced into at least one change from the side that was held by the Toffees, with Bobby de Cordova resuspended, while Manuel Solomon and Levin Kazawa remain injured. And for that one, I'm going to predict Man City to win 3 1. I've done the same 3 1 at Manchester City. Jonathan? 3 0 to City. 3 0 to Manchester City. Jonathan, you've got, I think it's the tea time game at uh, the weekend. Everton against Leicester. Everton seem to be the new 530 team, which I'm not sure about that as a pick score. Just, you know, they care. But I think Everton v Leicester. Everton have only won one of the last five, uh, but their defence remains good. They've only conceded 12 goals all season, uh, which is the fourth best in the division. Uh, their issue is scoring goals. Only Wolves and Forest have scored fewer. Uh, no sides, no sides games have involved fewer goals than Everton. Uh, Leicester, the exact opposite of that. Uh, only Manchester City's games have involved more goals than Leicester's. Uh, they've scored 21, considered 25. Uh, their form has been much improved recently. They've taken seven points in the last three games, uh, up until the 1-0 defeat to, to City last week when they actually played pretty well. And in those three games, they kept three clean sheets. So maybe... That is beginning to be sorted out. Uh, they are still without Pereira and Bertrand, who are um, very old men, may remember playing at one point. Uh, Johnny Evans also out. Godfrey Townsend and Mina out for Everton uh, as their injury problems are easing. This game was 1-1 last season. Everton won 2-1 at the King Power, but I'm going to go for 1-1. 1-0 to Everton from me. Ben? Um, copied me as well. Everton 1-0. Oh, this is not how you move at the league table, not at all. Getting the same, <laughs> getting the same predictions as second place. Uh, where are we? Forest v Brentford, I think, Ben. After Forest memorable wonder win over Liverpool, they were brought crashing back down to earth with a five 0 thrashing at Arsenal on Sunday. That defeat leaves them roots to the foot of the table, but Steve Cooper had tightened Forest up at the back of late prior to their heavy loss at the Emirates, so he may well see this result as an anomaly. Summer signings: Omar Richards, Musa Nikate, and Harry Tafolo miss out. So too does Jack Colback, and despite that four 0 loss. Cooper may resist wholesale, wholesale changes to his 11 in order to build up consistency once more. Uh, for Brentford, the huge blow this weekend is the absence of talisman Ivan Tony. The English striker received his fifth yellow card of the season in the one all draw with Wolves and is suspended, so Johan Wisser may start up front. Aaron Hickey, Thomas Dracosha and Pontus Janssen will play again until after the World Cup, but Christian, Janssen, uh, Christian Norgard sorry, and Matthias Jensen need to be checked to determine their availability. Whether the Bees will have enough without Tony to improve on a record of 1-7, though, remains to be seen, and I think that will end 1-0. I'm going to go 1-0 to Forrest. Jonathan? 1-1. 1-1 from you. Is that every game? No, obviously Man City wasn't 1-1, yeah. but that is, that is Every lot. other one, 1-1, one, one, yeah. That is a lot of 1-1s. Of Maybe opening the door to myself or, or Ben to catch up this week. Right then, home game for Manchester United at Villa Park. It's Aston Villa against Manchester United. Uh, it's the first game for Aston Villa under Unai Emery. Um, the post Gerard Banks didn't last long with a hammering at Newcastle last week. Uh, Emery probably hasn't had time really to sort things out much, but he did beat United with Villarreal in the Europa League final in 2021. Having said that, uh, when he played them with Arsenal, he lost both times. Um, Kamara, Augustinson, and Diego Carlos are all out, and there's a doubt over Emi Martinez, who obviously will be a, a huge loss. United, after a terrible start of the season, much improved. Uh, seven wins and two draws in the last nine. They play Sausage tonight in the Europa League for what that's worth, which is very, very little. Um, they've only conceded one in the last six. They were grateful uh, to David De Gea having a really good game, particularly the last 20 minutes against West Ham last week. Uh, but that was a clean sheet with Harry Maguire back in the side with Ferran injured. He's still out. They'll also be without Bruno Fernandes, who is suspended. And the doubts over Martial, Lindelof and Anthony. 
Villa won one nil at Old Trafford last season. It was two two at Villa Park, and I'm going to go one one this time. I was going to go one one as well, so I'll stick with that, Ben. I think May United will win two one. Two one, sensible. Manchester United haven't lost at Villa Park since 1995. One day, I'll be able to say that. Well, no, one day that stat won't be true. I get fed up of saying it every single year when Manchester United rock up to Villa Park. Uh, Southampton, Newcastle to finish for you, Ben. Yeah, after singly getting their season back on track, Southampton lost at Crystal Palace last week to end a three-game unbeaten run. Defeat at Selhurst Park means Saints have won only one of their last eight league matches. And then I dropped to 17th, just a point above the drop zone. Regular fullbacks Tino Livramento and Carl Walker Peters remain out. So too does summer arrival Armel Belakotchuk. While Stuart Armstrong is a doubt, having come off late on against Palace. A boost for Saints, though, is that Romeo Lavia recently returned for the B team and may feature here. Uh, Eddie Howe has a number of absentees to deal with, but the big blow is the absence of key man Joe Ellington. The Brazilian suspended after receiving his fifth yellow card of the season last week's 4 0 win over Villa with Alan St. Maximan, who returned to action in that victory, set to deputise out wide. Fabian Shah, meanwhile, will be a set after coming off late on in that one. Uh, Howe will hope to have Shah available as Newcastle look to extend their unbeaten streak to nine games and pick up a sixth win in seven. The Magpies have won two of their last three trips to Southampton and won this game last season, and I think they'll win again 3-1. Bloody hell, then. I was going to go 3-1, so I'll go 3-0 to Newcastle to be different. Almir underscore a curler from the right-hand side. Jonathan? Go on, have a guess. Not 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. Really? Even yeah. Newcastle at Southampton? Yeah. For Southampton, do get the odd scalp. I got the Southampton one, Arsenal one, exactly right. How did you? Yeah. That's why you're top of the league. Mm. That's why you get paid the big bucks. Let's finish with West Ham Crystal Palace for you, Jonathan. Yeah, West Ham I find really difficult to understand. Up to 14th. Uh, but basically, every away game, they're really unlucky. But, you know, to, to lose at United last week, given the chance they had in the last 20 minutes, uh, was remarkable. Very unfortunate. Uh, to get beaten at Liverpool but every home game referees just hand them goals so they're incredibly fortunate against against both Bournemouth and Fulham uh, so it's really hard to to get a read on them uh, they've got a trip to Romania to play uh, FCSB one of the two teams used to be Sabacarest in Europa League tonight I suspect that they won't take anything like a, a full first choice team uh, Fabianski and Corne both doubts for the for the Palace game uh, Palace have doubts over Odson Edward and Dekure uh, James MacArthur's definitely out. They're a bit of a funny team to read as well because the results never seem quite as good as performances. Uh, away from home, they've taken three points from five games, uh, but their home form means they're two points above West Ham. This was 2-2 at West Ham last season. A Palace West Ham won 3-2, but that included two very late Palace goals, uh, which made it look perhaps slightly tighter than it was. But I think it's going to be tight again, so I'm saying 1-1. Dave, there's so many one ones this week. I've got, I've got, I've got nine, nine one ones and City to win three nil. They just can't, Dave. If that happens, then fair play. But yeah. think about it though, right? Hopefully, I only, no one ones. Say two of them come in. That's six points. No, no, I understand. I understand. I understand what you're doing. I'd laugh if Man City Fulham was one one now. <laughs> that, would, that would that would bring me a, a lot of pleasure. Uh, I need to do my prediction. West Ham two, Crystal Palace nil. Ben. West Ham two, Crystal Palace one. I was going to go two nil, but then you said it. Changed it. Yeah, makes sense. Go on then. Let's talk about the league table. Let's get get it over and done with. Let's end on a, a real low note. Four, Fourteen points last week. I only the only games I got wrong were Chelsea and Liverpool. Did you get any one ones? Yes. Brentford uh, Wolves. Brentford Wolves. Yeah. Fair play. Go on, Ben. Yeah. So <laughs> this is going to be unfortunate win for you Dan you are bottom of 29 points who scored is now on 37 but Jonathan is currently the runaway leader with 59 points 
22 points clear. That, that, that is not good at all. Mm. I, was, I can't understand. I can't understand. Myself. Sorry, I'm absolutely amazed by something that's just happened in my house. I've got a blind dog, and I'm on this. I'm on the on the first floor, and he's just he was downstairs, and he's never ever walked up the stairs, and he's just appeared. Oh. So he has mm -hmm. walked up the stairs. What's his name? Tebo. Tebo. Yeah. As in Courtois. Yeah. I was playing a lot of FIFA with Real Madrid at the time. Right. How has he done that? Does he oh, predict one all as well for all of them? He loves a 1-1 too, but <laughs> how have you done that? That's the end of the podcast. Thanks ever so much for joining us today. Thanks to Jonathan and Ben as ever. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on so you know exactly when our next video is coming out. Hopefully you enjoy all the football at the weekend and stay safe.